Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. Uh, I'm S. Garlic and it is my great pleasure to speak to four uh, hardened, toughened sim racers, uh, all, all, all under the uh, Prismatic Motorsport stable. Uh, we heard from uh, Jamie Jess Martin, um, their team principal, uh, a few episodes ago, and I, I was really keen to uh, speak to some of the drivers to find out what it was, what it was that motivated them, and also find out a little about about their experience on the racing ladder, and um, so maybe some some of the stories about uh, sim racing, and um, maybe how easy or difficult it might be for a, for a uh, noob such as myself to get into. Um, again, we touched on that briefly in the episode with Jess, but uh, I, I I'd like to hear from some week to week drivers who uh, probably have their own views on on uh, how easy it is to get into. So let's let's welcome the team anyway. So uh, we have uh, Hamish, who um, 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 whose pronouns are she, they. Uh, welcome, Hamish. So uh, for, first of all, um, Hamish, introduce yourself. Uh, wh- what, what, is your, what is your full name and um, uh, what do you normally drive for Prismatic? Um, yeah, hi, I'm Hamish Eisner. Um... At the moment, I'm focusing on uh, iRacing and a bit of R Factor 2 stuff, um, mostly with the Formula IRO4 or um, hypercars, prototypes, that sort of thing. Okay, fantastic. And uh, uh, how, how long have you been racing for uh, Prismatic 4? And actually, how long have you been a sim racer for? Um, I've been sim racing for, I'd say, three years and a bit now. Um, and I've been with Prismatic, is it almost a year? I think it's been, yeah, probably about a year. Okay, brilliant. Um, so, uh, welcome and, uh, thanks for joining anyway. Um, we also have Georgie, uh, whose pronouns are they, them, and, uh, Georgie, um, again, introduce yourself, uh, what, um, uh, sorry to sound like Scylla Black, uh, on, uh, Blind Date, but, uh, what's your name and where'd you come from? I uh, know, I love it, I'm completely here for the Scylla bit, um, hey, I'm Georgie Mackay, uh, I've been with Prismatic for... I think two years now i was around pretty much at the start of the team not quite i missed a few weeks here or there but pretty much the whole time um i tend to drive the dalara p217 lmp2 prototype uh but also recently i've been driving the bmw m4 gt3 and the, these are both in iRacing. Georgie, welcome. And uh, on camera, I'm seeing Sersha, uh, whose pronouns Hello. are she, her. So, Sersha, introduce yourself and uh, um, and where you come from and what you drive. Uh, hi, I'm Sersha Fitzpatrick. I am from Ireland. I am the token Irish one <laughs> in Priz. Um, the only Irish driver on the team. Um, what do I drive? I mainly drive... Um, the touring cars on iRacing. I do a bit of Brazil stocks because I love a good dead series, um, as well as the new late model stock on the oval side of things, the super late model, um, occasionally modifieds. Um, but for the team recently, I've been driving as a reserve driver um, in the BMW M4 
GT3, as well as uh, in MF4 on a set of course of competizione. Um, so at the moment, I'm not the most active representative of uh, Prismatic, but I like to think I do my bit nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I get the impression that the team is uh, is a kind of community team. So it doesn't necessarily matter whether you are you know uh, there every week, but they 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 kind of include you in all that, all the activities. Would that be reasonable to say? Yeah, um, I've driven as a reserve in other series like the uh, uh, British F four esports series as well. Um, I tend not to commit to things that much just because my work schedule can be a bit all over the place and um before um i was relying on buses and stuff to get home so i would never be certain if i could get home on time or be like awake enough really to race yeah um and uh let's let's go um oh um uh, w- welcome Sersha. and uh, um, b- before i before i move on to our um our final uh, guest um uh, what what was the step up to gt3 like because uh, i i always imagined that uh in sim racing people can jump into whatever and just drive it quickly immediately mm-hmm. but I, I i guess probably that's only true if uh, you are max verstappen it's probably not true for everyone else i imagine um yeah to be honest like going from one car class to the next it does tend to at least for me take a while to get my eye in um especially with gt3s because i don't really drive them outside of the context of driving for the team um they're just not really my favorite uh car class so it takes me a while to get up to speed in them so is is that because they're is that because they're heavier or um because because the because they're uh, more difficult to handle or um what's different about GT three compared to the other classes you drive? Um, I mean the GT threes are the like probably the most powerful rear wheel drive cars I tend to drive on like circuits. Um, so like the Brazil stocks. They have, I think, slightly less power, uh, but they don't have like ABS or traction control. Uh, the touring cars, they're front wheel drive uh, and a good bit lighter. Um, so going to GT3s, as well as the fact that they have significantly more aero than what I usually drive, um, it kind of requires a different driving style almost. Um, and you need to adapt that kind of change to the way you drive like especially going from like such radically different uh types of machinery yeah yeah i i I can understand that or well i i can understand it again from from the point of view of not actually knowing what it's like but i i can Mm -hmm. i can i guess the word is empathize i i can empathize um all right uh and uh, cassie winklebauer um so your pronouns are she her and um tell us a bit about yourself what do you drive and how long have you been with the team for well um i've driven pretty much every piece of content i think you know i probably have a bad habit of it's shiny it comes out i buy it and i try it whether or not i actually use it that's another thing um but primarily i've throughout my iRacing career i've been on iRacing i think since 20 you know 12 2011 i've done mainly nascar stuff uh you know i've ventured into more endurance racing i tend to go to the highest class possible because i i like to go fast and uh 
the prototypes give a very satisfying feeling of the way they handle in the aerodynamics and like the speed of when you pass cars. It's, it's just the, the thing I enjoy the most. Um, see, uh, for Prismatic, I think it's been about two-ish years by now, I think. Um, uh, as for sim racing specifically, I, I've been, I started racing on, uh, when I was probably like three or four NASCAR racing the first game. I'm probably the, one of the oldest people on the team. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I've been, I probably play them all pretty much. Okay. Um, so versatile is your middle name then? I, I would like to think so. I, I like to dabble, you know, if there's an event or something that we do and I sign up for it, I tend to go hard and practice that specific thing. But, you know, I like to enjoy all things cause you know, it's a lot easier when you're on the computer and you can buy content versus going to buy each car in real life. So you might as well dabble in everything, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, uh, so maybe that, maybe that's the first question I should ask. Uh, when, when it comes to sim racing, uh, when, uh, when, when we are getting, um, when we are getting into it stroke, you know, uh, when, when we've downloaded, uh, the, uh, the program for the first time and, we're settling down with our uh, gaming PC and uh, just trying to get to grips with it. Is it better to focus on one car and to focus on a slower car, or is it better to um, try different things? Because um, whenever I played, obviously non-sim stuff like Gran Turismo and Forza, I, I would always jump wildly between cars because I was just really curious how they handled and also I, I love the appearance of different cars when they're rendered in games but uh, in in sim is it more important to focus on one thing would you say let's uh, let, let's ask Georgie this one well I have a lot of an opinion on this actually um, I think in the in the immediate beginning of you when you start sim racing so you've just uh, downloaded iRacing and you have nothing but the base content so you will have a the MX-5 I'm just going to talk about the road the road content you'll have the MX-5 you'll have a Ray Formula Ford 1600 and mm -hmm. the uh, Formula V um, also the Cadillac um, CTS-V and the Chevrolet uh, it's like a, it's it's a Daytona prototype. I don't remember what it is exactly. N neither of those last two cars, the Daytona prototype or the Cadillac, are used in any series. So you can kind of forget about those. But mm. you drive either one of the other three and find which one you like the most. Most people tend to arrive at either the Mazda or the Ray Formula Ford. And from there, you kind of know, I, I like open wheel racing, or I like tin tops. And when you get out of rookies, you can then look at maybe, well, would you like a front wheel drive car or a rear wheel drive car? Would you like something with less power or more power? And when I was picking that kind of, that kind of thing, I just looked at what I liked, and I ended up buying the Ford GT GT3, which I, this is absolutely not a recommendation to buy that car in any other fashion of it's so much fun to drive you should buy it but don't buy it because it's a, a bit of a waste of money in terms of being on pace most people find it quite hard to drive 
<laughs> so my genesis in sim racing was through that Ford, and I found it very, very difficult to drive. So when I eventually moved to a sim racing team for the first time and decided to try to hone my craft and get a bit better, this was when I stuck to one car, and that was the BMW M4 GT3. And I found that week in, week out, going track to track and even season to season, I would get so much better in the car by virtue of being able to understand its its little foibles here and there, how it can take a curb that little bit harder than if I hadn't known I could do that. And that purely comes out of just putting laps in and getting the seat time in that one car so you can know it. But in the beginning, you absolutely want to try a few things here and there and just pick what you find fun. And then when you find what is fun, then I would say try and find the most fun car in that class for you and try and stick to it if you want to get better. If you just want to have fun, then drive everything. But if you want to hone your craft and have fun at the same time, that's how I would say to do it. Okay, that's that's interesting. Uh, and um, uh, by the way, props for downloading the Ford GT because uh, that that is uh, by by no means a beginner's car uh, from the sound <laughs> from the sounds of things. Um, but uh, you, um, Sersha, as a response to that, I mean, uh, as as you've just told me, you've been racing for five or six years yeah. um, in sim racing. Um, um, we admit our mistakes here at Motiony. Um, uh, maybe, maybe you could uh, um, t tell us a bit about back at the start. Uh, what was your first platform, and also uh, what what was your uh, what car did you focus on when you were really you know getting good at putting laps down in the first place? Um, I think. Well, no. Okay. Initially, I started sim like sim racing uh with the formula one games um i got my first wheel to drive i think it was f1 2020 um and started putting hot laps down like just focusing on a like because um in the time trial feature like the cars are all the same um so it's just based on like putting the lap down um and that kind of thing um but i don't think i really took sim racing that seriously until i started i racing um, so in between the F1 game and iRacing, I had gotten um, AC, like I said, a Corsa, and Orange Factor 2, but I didn't really jive with either of those because I kind of wanted to drive with other people. So I went to iRacing, and when I got iRacing, uh, when I was like trying to take it really seriously, uh, and this is going to sound off-type considering I don't really drive open-wheelers anymore, but the main thing that I actually drove was the Skip Barber car, which has been uh, recently retired. Um, in place of, I think, the Formula Ford 1600. I think that's what's replaced it. Hmm. So I really started in that, like the Skip Arbor open wheeler. Um, and then from there, kind of moved to the touring cars. Um, mostly just because, like, both of those cars I really, really enjoyed at that time. And I still really enjoy the touring cars. Um, and, like, focusing on building up my confidence and building up my pace in just those two different cars gave me kind of wildly different um approaches and as i got more and more serious i started focusing on the touring car more so how i drive and how i race is kind of more influenced by that really um and to answer your question like what car 
was it specifically it was mainly the touring cars uh, but i also kind of do this funny thing of whenever i get a new car and i want to test it and figure out like its capabilities i take it to a specific track uh being laguna seca uh just because i like it's one of the free tracks and as a rookie and as a new member you drive it a lot mm. so i've put down hundreds if not thousands of laps of that track in my time <laughs> Beware the corkscrew, as they say. Uh, has, has the corkscrew yes. caught you out a few times? Oh, absolutely. Anyone who tells you the corkscrew has not caught them out is a liar. Yeah, um, I, I do, I do sometimes wonder. Um, look, lo- looking back at the famous Alex Zanardi overtaking maneuver, which I'm sure you've seen on YouTube. Um, um, have have you seen have you seen the one where he overtook uh, Brian Brian Herter at the corkscrew? I think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna look okay. it up really quick. Yeah, sure. So uh, w- when you watch it on YouTube, you'll you'll see that basically he does it by driving across the sand trap, which um, w- would, uh. be, would be a track limits violation in F1. Um, but I guess that's why IndyCar is better and F1 is, is a bunch of mood hoovers, really, isn't it? Uh, being allowed to just cut the track for an overtake? Well, yeah, but uh, the, the the thing is, this was ninety, this was ninety seven, ninety eight. This is this is what we did at the time. You know, people pe- people used to think it was daring. Now they say track limits violation. I don't know. I would feel pretty hard done by if somebody did that to, did that to me and got to keep the position. Mm, okay. <laughs> Well, um, but basically, you know, until, until Colton Herter came along and became a thing, uh, that that was Brian Herter's race career. Oh, you're the guy who was overtaken by Zanardi at the Corkscrew. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it it kind of it, it it became became his personality for a while, but still. Um, okay. Um, so um, yeah. Hey, Hamish, we were we were talking earlier about um, your um, 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 your your driving career, so. What is the most enjoyable car in sim racing to drive? And um, uh, is it the one that you spend most time in, would you say? Uh, Yeah, uh, my favourite sim to just go for, for relaxing drives or to really get my head down and try and do some fast laps is Assetto Corsa. And um, this aligns pretty much with what I'm trying to do in the real world stuff, but Formula One is Formula One and Formula E is my favorite type of cars. Any mm. high performance single seater, whether it's fictional or otherwise, um, because on a set of course, you have uh, the Red Bull X2010, which was a concept car that Red Bull made a while ago. And that thing's probably a good 10, 15 seconds quicker than the, any modern F1 car. Um, but my my favorite car at the moment is the um, Ferrari F two thousand and seven. Uh, I love that car to bits. I am extremely comfortable with it. Um, uh, in i racing, I don't have the license to actually drive any of the F one cars yet. Um, I'm on my way up to it, so the IRO four is the closest that I get to that. So it's it's very much focusing on single seaters. Right. Is is uh, IRO four one of those uh, for, formulae that sort of uh, um, uh, vaguely vaguely follows F one regulations from a certain time? Um, it's a it's a version of an F four car, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's close to where I want to be in real life at the moment. Um, 
but it's yeah it's a lot of fun in sim just any any single seater pop me in it i can probably get to 95 percent in 20 laps or so Okay, so this is probably as good a time as any to mention that uh, the reason we're doing this roundtable is partly because uh, uh, Prismatic Motorsports uh, has very kindly given uh, myself the opportunity to have the Motion E logo on uh, some of its cars. Uh, and um, I I decided that uh, I would really love to do some content with the team. Um, haven't done much sim racing, uh, primarily because it's so difficult to get hold of drivers. And um, so it, it's really great to get this uh, um, opportunity and this exposure with with the with the team and uh, I'm, I'm hoping that the that, that, that my audience will um, either learn something from it or if they're already sim sim racing as I know some of them are then hoping they're nodding along but uh, yeah good to hear Hamish that you're uh, driving the Formula E um, have you had a go with the Gen 3 which I know has just come out on R Factor 2 yet or is it solely Gen 2 that you're focused on right now? Um, I have. Um, I need to get a bit more time with it because that that's one thing that the real world drivers have, have said before and I've seen a lot with sim stuff is that those cars are a real challenge. I, I can hop in basically any F1 car from any era and get along with it quite well, but it takes... Formula E is the exception. It takes quite a while to get used to it. So I will have to come back to you on that for the Gen 3. But mm. from what I can tell from the about hour or so I've had with it, it is a very fast car. Um, the, it's very, very um, talky. Um, it likes to spin the rear wheels up at basically any opportunity. Um, the braking is really interesting as well because it doesn't have front brakes. It was does it, not. It doesn't have front or rear. It, it, oh, it's front. It, it, has, it has regen front brakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a really interesting car, and I I I know people will be able to go really fast with it, and I will see what happens. Um, I'm looking at doing the Formula E Accelerate um, Sim Series. I tried doing that last year, but didn't give myself enough time to actually get used to the car. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, I'm looking forward to getting more time with it. Okay. Um, if you do take part in Formula E Accelerate, then uh, I'd, I'd love to sort of uh, get get you back on perhaps uh, to um, uh, talk, talk talk about your journey, talk about the talk about the race, etc. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, as uh, quite a lot of the stuff I'm trying to do aligns with um, a lot of the podcasts because as much as I love sim racing, I am um, heading full force towards real world racing and uh, eventually electric racing. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'd love that. So, um, so, so f full full IRL motor racing is, is your is your goal then? Yeah. Um, a lot of people that I've been sim racing with know this um, and also know how enthusiastic and driven I am to actually get to it. But I've been wanting to get to Formula E for the last two or so years. Um, it's something that I've got planned within the next decade. So it's it's by 2030 or it, it, along those lines, um, I'm kind of hoping to get there. Um, I'm doing karting at the moment. Um, unfortunately, not electric karting because there isn't an easily accessible series in the UK that's electric. Mm. For my age, anyway. 
Um, so uh, yeah, gonna get try and get to the electric stuff as soon as possible. But um, as much as it's good that there's a cheaper stuff that's turning up that isn't just Formula E, um, it is still quite difficult to access. So it is going to take a while to get there, but I am determined enough to to do it. Yeah, um, it's it's intriguing to hear from someone whose goal is Formula E because you usually Formula E is uh, is is not the goal. Usually Formula One is, and Formula E is something that sort of um, I'm, I'm going to show my bias here. Better quality drivers fall into after they realise they don't have the money for F1. But uh, you, yeah, you're 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 very much uh, going for that, and that's uh, that's that's re- that's really intriguing. I uh, obviously hope you make it. Thank you. Um, yeah, as as much as I love F1, um, I feel championing sustainability at the moment is more important than going in a faster car. Um, <laughs> as well as Formula E seems to be more of a challenge as well, um, especially from ex-Formula 1 drivers. It's been a handful, so it, um, having something as challenging as that would be a lot more rewarding on the racing side as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, and uh, C- Cassie. Um, so, Prismatic Motorsports was set up um, in part to provide a uh, race team for trans and non-binary race drivers, and um, it, it is, uh, as far as I know, the only uh, trans and non-binary focused uh, racing team. Um, how has that made a difference to you in terms of uh, in in terms of uh, fe- feeling comfortable over a sim racing weekend and uh, kind of fe- feeling feeling a real part of the team? Uh, do, do you think that uh, um, do, do you do you do you prefer to be part of Prismatic uh, for the sort of sort of community side of things um, as opposed to other sim teams where you where you maybe don't have that same you know safe space if you like? Well, I would say that uh, Prismatic hits all the checkboxes for me personally. Um, even, you know, putting the uh, queer space and that space aside, you know, as, you know, just focusing as an adult who works and, you know, has life situations going on, just being a part of a community just to even speak to in general, you know, like that is good. But uh, specifically, you know, you know, from from my position being a trans woman, you know, and being on iRacing since like 2011, 12 or so, you know, that that was even before, you know, I even came out, like before I even knew what was going on with me. So like hopping from team to team as years were going by, you know, and seeing sort of the mentality and like space of, uh, you know, as a whole on, you know, whether it was just gaming in general, you know, being a male dominant space or just the online being online, you know, as things were going on for me personally, you know, I've, I've been kicked off teams just for coming out as trans, you know, I've, really? I've been through that. Oh yeah. I've, I've been like, as I was transitioning and like deciding like what my name was going to be, you know, as I was figuring these things out, you know, I was starting to identify that way and i changed my name on iRacing and there's been situations where 
you know, people assumed, and I'm putting air quotes, like, like, oh, well, I have a woman's name, so therefore I must sound like a woman, right? Mm. I'm using quotations. And when people, you know, see me or hear me talk, you know, that could be an instant kick. That, uh, that could be like, oh, there's a, you're one of those or whatever. So, like, as time went on, you know, I wanted to step away from sim racing. Like, I didn't know, like, is this what I wanted to do? Like, you know, you know, I got into it because, you know, uh, there was a, a pro side like i could be a thing that i can't financially do in real life i could emulate that and feel you know i can do those things and and as you know that pivotal point where like i came out and i was going through those changes you know seeing those people act like that to me i'm like do i even want to be here and it was on a whim one day i saw a reddit post and i was like oh there's a whole there's a whole trans queer team going on here like like holy like like this is for me and i pounced on that immediately and you know even in a sense of just being around uh uh, being around other people just doing the thing you like even outside of everything else is just you know is really important because you know if you can't be around like-minded people or just feel safe then like you know people aren't going to engage and so you know putting that racing part aside and from a community standpoint just being around other queer people other trans people where you can talk about things you're going through and talk about like where you are in, in your life or just where, where you are like in, in your transition or you need help or you need information you know it's like just that by itself is more of a resource I, I think you know is just as important as just being on a racing team doing that thing that you like to do but being around those also those same people also is very important so yeah it, it's it's in, it's really interesting and uh, really sad that you said that you were actually kicked off teams for that because um i i feel like sometimes uh we particularly in uh cis male dominated spaces but actually everywhere you know also also um cis female dominated spaces uh um or at, at least by my own sort of uh, uh non-racing career experience um if you if you come out as anything or if one comes out as anything one is sometimes mistaken for you know wanting to fo- wanting to put the focus on themselves or kind of ad- wanting to add to the drama when uh, f- from my point of view it, it certainly wasn't that and i i i i, I disliked the uh supposition that it was that it, it was really just a case of uh, wanting people to see me as the person that I felt I was and feel I am uh, and you know they they could um so I I I felt I'd progressed and they couldn't meet me there I I don't know I don't know if you relate to any of this from the experiences that you've just told me uh, uh that for Cassie yeah um yeah, yeah I mean it's it's certainly tough because like you know everyone's journey and transition is even if they do transition in that sense but like just in like where they are you know everyone's different but you know i i i would say like you know feeling like feeling isolated in that sense of like you know this is how i feel 
you know, in, in myself and being in this space where, you know, I, I grew up watching NASCAR. So like, you know, I didn't grow up watching sports cars or that more European feeling or whatever you want to call it. And like, you know, seeing that culture and being around that, you know, and seeing, not seeing really other people like me and then going like, Oh, like I feel this way. And, you know, even in just playing other games and like, you don't run into these people and then like, you start to wonder like, do these other people exist? And then like, just, just, just even hearing about a team and like hearing that and just going like, we, like we do exist and having that space, you know, it could save lives honestly like just knowing that they're there and then like but like on the other hand you know like you you have to hear you know like for me i've been places where you know i've heard slurs i've been around all that and and then you get the question like like, oh why do women need their own racing team or why does x need their own thing Mm -hmm. and like and trying to explain that sense when it's a male cis male straight dominated space going like like we everyone needs their communities and their spaces to find themselves or work through things or just be around other people just to communicate just even seeing them or even just hearing them you know like can really do work you know <laughs> yeah um I, i'm i'm really keen as well and i i'm aware this is kind of a a um hard jolting segue but uh i i i mean i i'm really interested to hear other people's sort of um 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 coming out and community focused stories as well but i i i do i do want to talk about the racing a little more if everyone uh, doesn't mind and uh, i i it, it, one thing i'm really intrigued by in sim racing is how do you develop your own driving style because we, we, we all hear about you know uh, Lando Norris drives this way or Jean-Eric Verne drives that way or whatever and we you know we hear about econ- economical driving styles and being hard on the curbs and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. how, how do you actually develop that driving style because um, it, it it's I suspect that it's probably the case that when you start testing and when you start trying things out, uh, you you are trying to emulate the driving style of the driver that you like the most. But do, is it more the case that you evolve into the driving style that suits you? I mean, Georgie, what would you say to this? I'm so glad you asked me, Sasha. Um, I'm really, really cerebral when I'm in the car. I'm constantly thinking about things like how much I'm turning the wheel relative to the amount of grip the car has at the wheels that it turns. So something Sirsha might t- tell you, if, if you were to ask her, would be that you don't necessarily turn the wheel of a touring car quite as much as you do for a GT3, because it's got front-wheel drive rather than rear-wheel drive. And that's kind of the that's kind of a thing that you have to physically alter your driving style while you're doing it. And when you come to an understanding of, and, and to be honest, you do have to do maybe a little bit of reading or a little bit of just having a look at the spec of the car and thinking about what that translates into. For me, that, that clicked when I made the association that if you think of power coming from the rear wheels as pushing the car from behind, 
whereas power coming from the front wheels as pulling the car forward. And when you think about it that way, you can kind of extrapolate that to your own body as a human being. Have you ever tried to push yourself forward with your hands without putting them behind you? <laughs> it, you, can, you can't do it. It's, it's very, very difficult. So if you drive a front-wheel drive car the same way you would try to drive a rear-wheel drive car, you're not going to be as fast as you could be. So things like that allow you to make the the realization of how oh, there's different ways to drive different cars. From then on, it becomes a process of you playing with your skills as a driver. You can attempt to throttle control into the corner a little earlier by taking a steeper line, uh, a more a sharper angle of attack into it to give yourself a better exit out and see if that gains you time. It might, it might not. When we were racing at Indianapolis recently for Prismatic in the FTR Esports series, um, we noticed the turn one, which is a pretty much 90 degree corner. The, the line a lot of drivers were taking was getting closer to the left-hand side on the exit of the track, which is the outside of the track, and becomes the apex of the next corner. But what we found was if you completely deprioritized that next corner and took a really shallow angle that would allow you to come right over to the right-hand side of the track on the outside of turn one, you could cut so sharply across turn two that it would allow you to take turn three basically flat. So there's things like that that you work into your driving style where you're not only changing the physical things of, i.e. how much you press the pedal, how much you turn the wheel. You're also changing your lines through the corners to try and find more time or looking for grip, that kind of thing as well. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this is fascinating, actually, because um, I, I I think um, in in my race gaming um, life, I had always wanted to drive um, a bit like uh, Jensen Button, I guess, to be, to be the smooth driver who was easy on the curbs and uh, good in the wet. And um, I I think in the end, I was probably closer to. Um, a kind of a i i don't know um i i i'm i'm not going to say i'm anything like a michael schumacher driving style but a a a, a, a kind of a very front loaded driving style where you're um, um constantly trying to turn in as early as possible and um, actually being being quite aggressive on the curbs um and aggressive on the tires as well although um you you could you could argue michael actually uh, was you know just a a total freak of nature in terms of he was able to uh, do things that would shred the tires for other drivers, but wouldn't for him. So you know, may- maybe maybe Mick Schumacher is a better comparison there, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I I say that with uh, total love for Mick. But uh, yeah, no. Um, so Sersha, uh, you you are a uh, fr- front front wheel drive lifer, apparently. Um, so. Mm-hmm. How does this driving style question reflect on you? And um, uh, what kind of driving style do you follow as inspiration? Um, 
it was like when you were asking the question, I was kind of thinking about it. Um, and like when Georgie was answering the question, I was thinking about how they were answering it as well. And I feel like I'm kind of the polar opposite to them. I'm a bit more of an instinctive driver. I'm not really like obviously in practice, I'll be thinking about okay, I'm like I'm thinking about like mistakes that I'm making. Like okay, I'm turning the wheel too much here. I'm getting too early on throttle here. But like in the race, it's all just it's like trying to reach that kind of flow state of just hitting every mark, hitting every breaking point, turn in point, all that, just on instinct. Um, and in terms of how driving, mainly driving front wheel drive cars has influenced my driving style, I feel like it has made me a lot more comfortable in cars that are very rear and very tail happy. Um, and it's something that has kind of caused a bit of an issue for me and teammates in, um, in like team events where I will typically want a much, uh, more loose car than my teammate will. And we'll have to find some kind of a balance between me wanting something that's going to try and kill me every, every other turn <laughs> and, uh, the other driver wanting something a bit more safe and a bit more friendly. Um, and like i've never really thought of it in terms of um like wanting to emulate somebody's driving style but i guess if you were to compare me to somebody i guess it'd be sort of like kimmy i know he prefers a looser car as well uh something that's very pointy and kind of twitchy um I like I just deal well with that kind of a car. I like a car that will rotate when I tell it to rotate. Um and a car that like I know exactly where I can push it to and if I push it any further it's going to go. Um so that's probably something that helps me in touring cars which don't really have much in the way of things to save you. Like they do have ABS and, and traction control but it's like if you make a mistake and you get on the throttle too early and you're turning, well, you're going off. Uh, it's that simple. The front, the front tires only have so much grip. Um, and like with all the aero and like aids and stuff that the GT3s have, like I find it difficult to find the limit sometimes because it's less defined in a way. Hmm. Uh, Georgie has written, um, I absolutely, in, in the chat, I absolutely do the sen the Senna throttle stab thing mid-corner. I'm so bad for it. Um, as, as, a, as a devotee of Scott Mansell's Driver 61 YouTube channel, I, I, know, I know what you're talking about there. And, Don't uh, do it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure for all the people with the telemetry in, uh, telemetry in the virtual pit lane that uh, drives them absolutely up the wall. Um, so um, th th this, th this then brings me to something else to ask, which is, um, Cassie, um, who is the most annoying teammate in terms of uh, wanting the car set up a certain way that you don't? That, that is... That's a good question, but I know Sersha's pointing at herself, um, so I guess I could go with that answer. Um, I would also agree. I, I am the teammate I, that we always have to change the setup for. As as everyone else was talking, and you know about their driving styles and you know what they were looking for in the car, I I I tend to think I like to take my time and like 
think st- sometimes, but sometimes I very much get tunnel vision and like be able to jam on the brakes and go as deep as possible every lap and sometimes do dumb stuff. So, um, which is, I guess, contradictory in setup style when I can, you know, send it to the limit, you know, and then if somebody else wants something else. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I can. Uh, I... I, I I can picture what you mean anyway, and uh, I it, it it is it is a game of compromise. It actually makes me think about uh, something like uh, Daytona or Sebring or Le Mans in real life, and how difficult it must be to um, to put together a team of three drivers just because uh, you you um, put together a roster of three drivers for a car because you're looking at drivers who presumably drive in a very similar way or if you aren't you're looking at drivers who are willing to compromise on style um and uh, it, it's just made me think how when you get someone from a different form of motorsport like Fernando Alonso for example going into um, a Toyota team with Buemi and Nakajima I'm sure all of them are willing to compromise on setup but I have a feeling you know with Buemi being Mr. Versatile and having to deal with some um, um, some rubbish cars in the past he's probably quite willing to do that and also in, Buemi's a Formula E driver, so he 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 knows he knows all about compromising um, on on setup to uh, to get a car through the race. Nakajima, I'm, I'm sure he will do whatever the team wants him to. But I'm thinking Alonso probably had the biggest ground to make up there. Um, uh, so um, Hamish, have you ever had to make up a lot of ground in order to compromise on setup with with your teammates? Um, not really. Um. Quite a lot of the time, just the way that I've developed as a driver, I will just get in a car and push it as hard as humanly possible and not do many setup tweaks. Um, It's the sort of thing of... I kind of like finding where the default setup limit is and then tweak it a little. Or if I'm already with uh, another teammate, and they've got a setup that they're already comfy with, I will just go with that one and then see how far that goes for me. Um, I'm not really fussy on that. Um, I know I can probably... I'm losing time doing that, but at the same time, um, my driving style is very much adapt. I will adapt to basically any car you throw at me um, or any setup, and usually I can get the hang of it quite quickly. With a little bit of brake bias tweaking, maybe. Hmm. Um, I I have to throw a question back to Cassie. It's slightly a curveball question, so uh, if if you if you don't like the question, we will edit it out, Cassie. But um, you are a professional driver in real life because you drive because you drive for that uh, big team known as Uber. Um. So um. <laughs> Have have you taken any of your sim racing experience to you know maybe getting getting that speed bonus and uh, get getting to the front door more quickly than people expect? Uh, has has it ever happened that you've been able to use some of your racing experience to get around the city more quickly? I I will say even outside of Uber, as as I sim race longer, um, there's there's tendencies. For better or for worse, especially on the you know, the um, especially on the highway, 
or maybe like a light or a stop sign where, you know, maybe I'm analyzing traffic. I'm thinking maybe it's like a super speedway and I go, all right, well, this line's going this fast and this line's going this fast and I need to change lines or whatever. Like I'm looking at traffic in a weird like racing world sense where if I want to get through a light faster, maybe I use a car as a pick and I change lanes real fast or, you know, whatever. Or if I'm going over a super long trip, like if I'm going, it is like an hour drive or something. Like I'll look at the route. I'll look at, you know, um, like the, uh, the overall time and see if I can shave off minutes. Like that's a fun game for me. It's a three hour trip. I'm going to be, be there by three o'clock in the afternoon. Can I be there by two two fifty five? And I'll try to do 10 over wherever I can. I'll change lanes. I'll look at the traffic. I'll try to like navigate on like a road interchange or something. And it's always like, how can I beat the next car? And sometimes it's not a good thing. <laughs> and that gets you in trouble. So I certainly learned when not to do it because I don't want to wreck my car. <laughs> um, G- Georgie has written in the chat, my driving style is Audi. And um, I, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, I'm assuming that Audi is what BMW used to be. So so it is oh. uh, it, it is the least efficient and most exciting form of road driving. Is that right, Georgie? <laughs> You just gotta pick on me every time I meme in the chat, don't you, Sasha? Um, no, I I drive the Audi. I used to drive the Audi a lot before I, I racing got patched, and it was very very stable at the rear, but felt like it wanted to kill you at the front, like Sersha says. But and that really worked for me. But in since the update, the, there's no grip, and it just wants to murder you now. I, I I hats off to anyone that can drive it, but I cannot anymore. Um, uh, Hamish, what would you say is the biggest frustration in sim racing? In in, ter- in terms of the driving, uh, in terms of the uh, the problems and foibles of the program, or anything else, what what's the thing that annoys you most about sim racing? To be honest, the first thing that goes into my head is just tech issues. I know it's something that it's effectively a replication of you know having brake failures or engine gives up in an actual race but it's it's infuriating quite a lot of the time where you like lose connection to a server and you ruin a really good race or for uh vr at the moment um i'm having a lot of tech issues so the headset will just give up but the so- the software is still running um, so I have to like emergency break so I don't do anything stupid, but I can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, uh, obviously we've had that problem with the 24 hours of the Mon, where the server just kept, just, I don't know what I, I don't know the full details of that, but it's, it's a lot of software issues that, that, um, play around with it. But at the same time, like I said, it's, it's like the real world problems that you get so it's it kind of makes it more realistic in a sense yeah that um, i'd say the the controversy um over virtual le mans seemed to be not only the backlash but also the backlash to the backlash so 
you had uh, uh, Ben Constant Juras, the commentator, uh, saying that uh, Max Verstappen went too far in trashing it the way that he did and trashing the event the way that he did, and that you can actually get a lot more done with a quiet word, but he had effectively set back the reputation of something that requires a great deal of investment. Um, um, so what's 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 the what's the team's view on that um let's throw this one to cassie um what's your view on sim racing controversies and how they tend to play out on social media because you know i'll i'll preface that question by saying i think part of the problem is that in the past, if you need, if you wanted to say something, you'd have to wait because either someone would interview you for the media, or if if you were you know a less famous driver than Verstappen, you would have to write an angry letter to the people organising it or an angry email. But these days, uh, if you have something angry to say, you've got a platform and you will go viral. Um, what do you make of that, Cassie? Ooh, that's a that's a little tough one. Um. It's, I feel it's interesting, I guess, maybe to maybe parallel that a bit to like when we were in COVID, you know, and uh, iRacing had like their big, I'm mean, using air quotes, their big chance in the sense they were on Fox, you know, and they had uh, the real world uh, drivers, you know, doing their thing and they had all the eyes on it and, you know, people were buying into the sim more and you know we had that exposure and then you know some people may say like that was the opportunity just i guess in a similar way with lamar and you know i think i guess they had two years to do it so far was it two or three uh, mm. so far and um and it's i feel like it gets a bad rap in some ways where um, what was the way to explain it? Um, like it, it, it is certainly a niche um, hobby, and you know, getting the exposure and seeing that this is a valid thing that you can do. Where, it, like, like as some might say, like, it, like it's not a game; it's a sim, and how people take it so seriously. Sim racing controversies, obviously, they do affect all of sim racing because mm-hmm. uh, if if someone has a problem with one sim platform, it tends to then um, become a become either a, a problem in terms of the image of sim racing if, if it's mm-hmm. an issue of toxicity or if it's a if it's a technical issue like with virtual Le Mans, it becomes something where people say oh sim racing isn't a isn't isn't a reliable uh you know promotional platform for our brand or whatever um mm-hmm. how, how, how do you square it and how do you think people should react uh when they've been uh upstaged by a technical issue say i think it's like the nature of sim racing controversies is a bit of a double-edged sword in the like in the case of max verstappen or what happened this year with the iRacing daytona 24 um things going that big and that public uh inevitably gives sim racing a bit of a bad image both in the sense of um like if there are technical issues that are happening, like as you say, market like marketing uh, from a marketing point of view, like people will see it, see sim racing as like a somewhat of an unreliable source of um, like outreach and exposure. 
which is in my opinion completely valid because um with the vlm stuff like that should have been sorted it was a no like it should have been figured out it was a known issue for a number of years i think it's i think if i'm not mistaken somebody please correct me if i am uh but like as far as i know that's happened in like things like that have happened in every single running of the virtual mall on our on our factor too um and if it's a known issue it should be fixed surely like especially when the stakes are so high um or in the case of the daytona 24 like the fact that there was no slowdown on or like off track or whatever on the um apron like that was a known issue that was asked to be fixed it never it wasn't fixed um i think that's kind of the bad side of it that like it gives sim racing a bit of a bad name to see all of this stuff go down um and all of this stuff happen in such a public way but when it's been brought up in a pri in a private sense like nothing has been fixed so when the slowdown issue at the daytona 24 like blew up and just became a complete and utter mess for iRacing publicly they fixed it real quick um and that's kind of the other side to it that like to some degree or another um social like being able to go on social media and put something on blast to your god knows how many followers uh can kind of democratize things in a sense and really put pressure on uh the developers of these platforms to improve things uh whether the issues with the virtual mall will be fixed we'll have to wait and see um <clears throat> but other issues around the unsporting behavior during the Daytona 24, um, that is just unequivocally bad, in my opinion. Like, seeing a team behave the way that uh, that team did, it's just not a bad look. There's no good that comes from that, in my opinion. Can you explain for uh, maybe less uh, less online people uh, than 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 yourselves? And I, I I use that in the nicest sense because uh, I mean you you folks are all in the sim world, but uh, uh, some some of the audience might not be. Uh, mm -hmm. What happened at Daytona? Uh, what happened at Daytona, if I'm not mistaken, was that during qualifying, I think Williams Esports used the apron to get a better better time uh for their qualifying and qualify better um and you're not meant to be able to use the apron at daytona because it like it should be off track you know mm. um and the sim should in theory be able to register that as an off track and give you uh an in-game slowdown basically a thing comes up on the screen saying you must give up x amount of time and it like tracks how much time you're giving up basically to the sim um, and as well as that, during the race, um, one of the Williams Esports cars was damaged quite heavily, I think, early on in the race. And they had the car uh, come out every now and again to give the sister team a bit of a tow. But there was one point where they had the sister car come out to block an um, a car that the uh, still competitive uh, sister team was racing. And that's just, in my opinion, in the opinion of quite a few others just completely unsporting behavior um it's not technically illegal in the iRacing sporting code but like it's so evidently bad faith racing that like it's just a really bad look 
Yeah. Um, last question on recording, then we'll stop recording and chat for a bit, I think. But uh, Hamish, um, if someone were looking to get into sim racing, obviously all of you folks are at a, at a fairly high level in terms of uh, your competitiveness and the sorts of uh, um, series that you race in. But um, how, how would someone look to get into sim racing for fun? So let's say uh, they download whatever, they uh, choo choose a car they're comfortable with, you know, Formula 4, Formula V, whatever, and they, they look to go, go about racing. What should they remember? What should they bear in mind in order to have a pleasurable experience, in your opinion? Well, obviously... Choosing choosing a car that you're gonna eventually get comfortable with is always a good start. Um, the other thing, especially at the beginning, because you're just you are gonna make mistakes. I mean, all of us make mistakes um, during driving. F1 drivers do it all the time. Uh, that, so that's a common thing. So don't don't get too stressed out about um, absolutely blundering it or unintentionally taking someone out as long as apologies are available to be made. Um, I would start with AI driving against uh, AI, um, just because you don't have to deal with getting other people angry, because there are going to be other people that are also as inexperienced as you that will then just get really frustrated at it um, without the empathy of we're all new drivers. So it's going to happen. Um, and just yeah, um, try and have as much fun as you can. Um, I would try not to push as hard with races from the start, just then you can um, get more comfortable and just get through a race instead of pushing so hard early on that you can't because you end up making more mistakes. Because uh, at the end of the day, if you don't finish the race, <laughs> you can't... There's, that didn't make sense as a sentence. Um, I didn't have an end to that sentence. It just It's better to finish the race than to start it, be really aggressive, and then spin out. Um, so yeah, and just just have fun. It, we're, all, we're all in it to have fun. And if you're not having fun, there's no point doing it. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that makes perfect sense as a sentence, actually. Um, and uh, I, I think that uh, you, you've all been brilliant. And uh, thank you. So um, Hamish, Georgie, Sersha and Cassie are all members of Prismatic Motorsports. You can follow Prismatic Motorsports on uh, most of the major social media platforms and also on uh, YouTube. And uh, do, do you have a Twitch yet? Uh, yes, we do. Um, Aha, okay. If I remember correctly, it's just Prismatic Motorsports. Fantastic. So uh, you can also follow their racing exploits on Twitch as well. And uh, we, we will have other Prismatic content um, l later in the year as you uh, get through uh, more, more of the series and more of the races. And um, I'd love to get your feedback on, on how some of them go. Um, and, and yeah, it's been brilliant having you on um, as well. And thank you all. Um, so thank you for listening to the Motion E podcast. Uh, I've been S. Garlic and we will have uh, for our next show reaction and discussion uh, from the Berlin E-Prix. Um, thanks very much and bye for now. Thank you.